the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Welcome to the podcast edition of Maximum Growth Live, the number one program for lawyers who want to grow their practices. Each week, our hosts, Seth Price and Jay Ruane, tackle the fundamental questions about how to grow the profit and profitability of your law firm. To watch the program live, submit your questions and hear the latest episode. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Facebook for our live show. Maximum Growth Live is a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Thursday, August 13th edition of Max Growth Live. I'm your host, Jay Ruane, and here at Max Growth Live, we are sponsored by Maximum Lawyer and Maximum Lawyer Media, along with FirmFlex and Blue Shark. Uh, here at Max Growth Live, we focus 100% on growing your law firm. We interview guests from all over, and quite frankly, Seth, today, we have just a legend, uh, one of the best guests that we have. So let me ask you, Seth, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. Having Keith here, he's been a friend and mentor, has really meant a lot in watching him in action because he's nobody has scaled, uh, I think, more efficiently than Keith. It's just remarkable what he's done uh, with his business and his practice. Uh, you know, it's been a crazy week. You know, I go to sleep one night and all of a sudden the Google algorithm is, is screwy and we have, you know, spam in the top of the search results. And, you know, later that night, Google admits that it's uh, that it's all nonsense, that they flipped the wrong switch. So, uh, you know, That's the SEO game goes for on. I mean, it, like, literally, um, could, it, could this year kick you in the teeth any more than yeah. it has? I just, and in fact, it where John Mueller responding to a literal dumpster fire tweet to say, "Yeah, my bad, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out." But this is this is Google, not not no. This is this is not meant to be. This was a mistake. Yeah, so, I saw uh, that, and, and it just blew my mind. I was like, I was like, wow, this. You know, this is a crazy year when you're actually getting like, whoops, we'll get it fixed, folks. I, I just, it, it just blew my mind. It is, but let's get let's get to Keith because Keith is a, a living legend, and uh, I want to make sure we have uh, time for for all of Keith. Absolutely, I, you know, as usual, I got a feeling this conversation is going to go long. So first, let's hear from our sponsors, and then when we get back, folks, we're going to have Keith Givens with us, chairman of the Cochrane Firm. Give us uh, a few seconds, and we'll get him right with you. We are honored and humbled to have Keith Givens here with us today. 
Keith is a friend and mentor who is one of my favorite business lawyers. This, this man has done incredible things, changing the way that we all practice today. Uh, Keith was an amazing trial lawyer of his own right, but has been known as the person who has scaled the Cochrane firm, Jacoby and Myers, the national trial lawyers, top 140 under 40, uh, as well as the Association Management Group, which helps all different organizations run their conferences. Keith, thank you so much for being here today. Yes, thank you. You're very welcome. I, I'm honored, uh, well, Seth and Jay. Well, look, uh, we, we work with a group of lawyers around the country that are step-by-step -step trying to figure out how to scale their firms. And there's nobody better than yourself, as far for my money, as far as figuring out how to take something from a single office in Alabama to a national powerhouse. Can you walk us through just some of the sort of fundamental basics that sort of what what has led to that success in your mind? Well, uh, probably no one has made more mistakes in the practice of law than I have. So let's start off with that. You know, it's. Uh, uh, next year will be my 40th year of law practice, and I've really had a, a couple of major uh, starts and pivotal points. The first 18 years uh, I was uh, in practice without Johnny Cochran. The last 22 years I've had the benefit of the Cochran Firm brand. Uh, so just to sort of break it down, I guess, it, it, and uh, look at it in segments, I happen to be from a city. I've uh, lived in my primary residence uh, is in a city population seven, 75,000. So I'm, I'm from a very, very small uh, market. And uh, it, I guess it's easier, you know, you talk about a, a big fish in a small pond. So it's it would probably easier in some respects to be a big fish uh, in a small uh, pond. Uh, I, I did come from a business background that may have given me a little jump on the business side, but I think the the uh, importance uh, has been really creating three buckets, you know, looking at things uh, in the early, early days, there were lawyers that uh, instilled the importance of getting the cases. I mean, you're not going to make any money. You're not going to provide any client service if you can't get the business. So I had to, so if you can imagine three buckets, one is the get the business bucket. And then the second, bucket is provide absolutely the best client service you can. That's uh, the, the second bucket. And there were some lawyers that had the philosophy that if, if you were a great lawyer and provided great client services, everything else would take care of itself. You know, but uh, that's uh, that's one of my mistakes <laughs> thinking that, you know, that's only one bucket. And then there's the third bucket, and that is the business of law bucket. You know, that's the you know, how well are you structured? How well are you organized? Uh, what kind of systems you have in place? It's that's the importance of the scale is this uh, third bucket. And you have to have, you know, a business operating structure and system to make sure all these buckets complement one another and function together. Uh, and I thought I had the, uh, you know, the really good uh, uh, system at the time I'd met. We met Johnny Cochran. I was 18 years into my practice. 40-ish, maybe a little, uh, a little slightly over uh, 40. And, you know, Johnny Cochran taught me a lot about uh, generational equity, uh, the importance of brand. I mean, he didn't preach the brand, but he was, he was the brand. And the importance of having a brand of that magnitude added a dimension 
of scale. We had 28 lawyers practicing in two states. Um, we had four uh, offices and the, the benefit of Cochrane uh, and the brand in the next 22 years, uh, we've grown to 31 offices in 19 states. So uh, that, that was that was just a different a different league and a different level. So it that aided greatly in success because he uh, he would have practiced you know 50 50 years if he had been practicing this year uh, in the practice of law. So he yeah it, there was a lot of uh, rocket fuel in our tank uh, when we met Johnny in 1998. You know, I have a bunch of questions to get to, but I'd love you to start with, for those that haven't heard the story, how did it come to be? How did, you know, you're sitting in Alabama and this is a rock star out of LA. How, how did you uh, put that deal together? Well, uh, thanks to a lawyer by the name of Jock Smith, he was Alabama's version of Johnny Cochran. He practiced in a city called Tuskegee, Alabama. Uh, I'm from Dothan, Alabama. We were in Birmingham, which is north of both of us. He's close to Montgomery, Alabama. I was the president-elect of the Alabama Trial Lawyers, and he was on the executive committee. And he and I had this idea of opening uh, another office in Atlanta, uh, a diverse office, a diverse, um, you know, of white trial lawyers, black trial lawyers, where uh, historically in Atlanta, believe it or not, at the time, really did not have an office of that type. So we thought it was uh, ripe and ready. And he was a close personal friend of uh, Johnny Cochran, primarily due to the fact that uh, during Johnny's first book tour, he had met Jock, and Jock was um, special in that he had the largest, the world's largest sports memorabilia collection and one of the uh, world's largest private, privately owned uh, civil rights collections. And, and so he and Johnny became real close personal friends. And uh, through that relationship, he mentioned the idea of opening an office in Atlanta and they were uh, socializing. They were, I think, at the Jazz Festival in New Orleans. And I received an invitation from Jock to come to fly down from Alabama and meet uh, Johnny Cochran. And uh, so that, that, that happened in 98. And uh, we spent you know, the better part of a day, probably eight to 10 hours, uh, talking to one another. And uh, he uh, asked or inquired if we would be interested in having him as a partner in our Atlanta office. Of course, you know, that's a no brainer from my perspective. And that's how it started. So we started there and then over six months because we had had um, a little bit of a robust infrastructure uh, to scale. Uh, we ended up merging the um, L.A. office of Johnny, the New York office of Johnny, where he was living at the at the time. He was also doing court TV and writing his second book. So uh, that, you know, we, we immediately started off with five or six offices and ballooned up to about 60 lawyers. And so that that was the, the foundation of uh, scale, really, or, or moving it forward. You know, you, you mentioned this and something I always ask our guests about. You learn a lot from the mistakes and you sort of alluded to that in your, your opening. Can you talk to us about like some of those mistakes, looking at it from our audience point of view? What are the things you wish you knew when you had started this process? Uh, well, the, the, the one size fits all uh, scenario is probably one of the uh, earlier mistakes. You know, you, you listen to people talk and, you know, they you either have the marketing, the marketing in, um, movement where they felt like marketing was the key. Some people thought that, uh, you know, you're having good business acumen was the key. That's just one of these one size fits all. That was, uh, But one of the bigger 
the bigger problems was recognizing early that if there are people in your organization, whether it's partners or otherwise, that do not share the vision of the firm, uh, then you have they have to be identified and uh, removed. You know, because if you if they carry uh, too long, there's and there's internal conflict and clashing. There's no way to make progress. Certainly not not scale. So that would be a, a mistake uh, that you know I I probably made is you know just uh, not being able to identify and remove. Now, and that's not just lawyers and law partners. That's anybody in the organization that do not that does not buy in. Um, and uh, I think uh, too that sometimes when there's hard times, there's there's a circle the wagon mentality that you need to circle the wagons to sort of protect um, what you have and secure yourself. I think that's a uh, has proven to be a, a mistake that uh, when you know you know for example like we're in the middle of a you know the pandemic which is going to lead to uh, I think a resulting financial or expanded financial crisis uh, whether it's going to be on the magnitude of uh, 2008 or not but usually uh, I found that when you uh, start moving forward and get aggressive during the so-called game game changing events you know like uh, whether it's tort reform court reform uh, there was a period of time uh, like in bush one a lot of the lawyers were just sort of getting out because they couldn't make the money as they felt that they needed to make rather than making adaptations so that's an example of a uh, of a mistake uh, so i think that's sort of a a summary and i think too not having specialists occasionally um i would you know, either spread myself too thin by trying to be in too many buckets. You try to find the best specialist uh, and, you know, take the advice of whether you expand and have other partners who are specialists in business generation. You know, the, they talk about the finders, the minders and the grinders, you know, so uh, there needs to be some specialist finders, rainmakers, those that are getting the business, even if they're not the, the best at providing the service and processing the business, trying to make lawyers that are great at doing one function, uh, spread their skills out. I, I think uh, we've learned that just let them be great at doing what they enjoy doing and, and what they are excellent at and, you know, build a world around that uh, excellence. And the same thing with the, the finders or the business generators. Don't If they're not great in the courtroom, but they're great at generating the business, keep them out of the courtroom. Don't try to make a courtroom lawyer out of somebody who can generate business. Same thing with the courtroom trial lawyer, you know, you know, keep him out of brief writing, uh, you know, keep, you know, just keep, uh, keep him really out of the business because the business side of law uh, will drag down uh, talent. And then then you become, you know, less good at what uh, has gotten you there. But you also have, you know, at least in our, our world, uh, in the uh, pr primarily personal injury, as opposed to some of the other consumer areas, uh, we do have to have courtroom specialists that, only spend their time in the courtroom. So, uh, you know, try not to drag them, you know, drag them out. Uh, so that's, those are examples. So one of the things I've admired most about you over the last decade or more has been watching you in action. And the fact that you've been able to collaborate with so many people to bring these different entities together, um, never taking sort of the, you know, you're, the, the ego seems to be checked at the door. It's not about Keith, but it's about putting these different entities together. Can you talk to me a little bit about your business of philosophy? Because in so many different areas, whether it's walking through your hometown in Alabama or, or walking through NTL, you have so many different 
uh, collaborations going on at one point and they, they seem to work. What's the secret to your success there? Well, uh, I, don't, I don't know that there's a, uh, a, a success to have a secret about. I mean, it's a process. We're, I'm still trying to figure it, figure it out and reinvent myself every time uh, there's a need. But I, I think uh, it, it's all it sort of happened organically. You know, over time, I think a, a level of, uh, of patience and recognition that every everyone is different and not uh, using as a mission to convince uh, everybody you see of what you're selling that day. I mean, you need, I think, uh, listening and trying to figure out uh, what the what the needs are and then sort of match up, um, you know, passion. If somebody's passionate about something sort of to get behind their their passion instead of in front of it or trying to redirect it because uh, it doesn't work that way. And usually, usually there's some synergies um, because you'll see people that you'll get excited about. Like, and also too, you know, from a standpoint, you mentioned this humble humbleness. Uh, there's no one in, on our planet as a lawyer that deserved to be less humble than Johnny Cochran. But the one thing that impressed me from the first day I met him to, you know, the last day he was here on earth, was his humility. He was extraordinarily, extraordinarily uh, humble. And he, it wasn't an act. It wasn't an effort. He was just, that was the man. I mean, he, he uh, if he walked into a room, it wasn't about, you know, look who I am. I'm Johnny Cochran. And he would get the kind of attention that would do that. But he, he was, he was, if he went into a restaurant, he was interested in, you know, meeting the waiting staff, uh, talking to the uh, the chef, you know, making everyone feel important, pausing for pictures. I mean, he, it was never, never about, uh, him. And, uh, it's, uh, in, in terms of ha having served the organization, you know, when we hear of somebody doing something exciting, new or different, you can't be resentful of it or work against it or see it as competition. Same thing with other, other law firms and other lawyers, uh, even in the, uh, organizations that we're a part of, it's how, how can your firm help the next firm make money, do what they want to do? Because you can't do it all. No, no one firm, it needs to be a, a series of collaborations and cooperation. Uh, and it also helps scale. Occasionally, you find some compatibilities in which you team up on doing an effort. Because uh, we, we have not reached a point in America where there, especially on the consumer side of law, where there is one firm that even has 1% of the market. I mean, and there's, I don't know of any other industry that that's the case. You know, you know you've got, uh, you know, you always have someone or some company, four or five companies that rise to the top of the market and have a, an appreciable uh, market share, whether it's Microsoft, you know, Walmart. I mean, you can you know, pretty much pick those. But in law, uh, there are over, out of the 1.23 million lawyers, there's five or 600,000 lawyers that are solo practitioners. You know, so uh, the, the need for uh, collaboration and cooperation, it feeds creativity too. I don't know that I've ever had an original thought in my life. Sometimes I get credit for uh, a, a thought. I, I've either picked them up from somebody else or you know, tried to modify them or uh, been excited about hearing uh, of another thought. And I, uh, so I continue to, to look for those kind of uh, nuances and different things that, um, you know, help out or provides, you know, fuel 
to to our our own momentum. Great, Jay. Uh, we're talking about Johnny Cochran. You have a question about that. Yeah, so, uh, you know, one of the questions I have is there's got to be a bit of a challenge early on in the uh, in the uh, agreement and the association with uh, a person who had such a just just such a name, uh, you know, in the community that uh, I can imagine there were some challenges early on when people would come into the firm and say, um, well, I want Johnny. And and, and so. You know, even some smaller lawyers, when they when they're going from one to two or you know one to five, you know they still have this sort of aura in their local community, and and it's a challenge for them to be able to say, well, no, I, I you're coming to me, but here's the person who I've selected is the best fit for you. So how did you guys deal with that challenge with 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 someone as just so big in life as Johnny? Uh, because that in and of itself would have attracted cases, um, but he, he can't be everything to everybody. So how did you deal with that challenge? And then I have another follow-up question for you after that. Okay. Uh, well, in the early days, I thought it would be extreme. You know, in, in 98, matter of fact, the first thought I had is, uh, being a partner with Johnny Cochran is the best way to suck all of anybody's interest in you. I mean, all the cases. <laughs> I'm like, partner with Johnny Cochran is, I want my case handled by Johnny Cochran. So we thought it would even be worse, not just new people wanting Johnny Cochran. It'd be everybody that all 30 of our lawyers were representing when they found out you're now partners with Johnny Cochran. We were just like a, uh, a, a black hole that would just suck you know, all the business into Actually, we found the opposite. Um, that what everybody wanted was Johnny-like service, John, the quality that Johnny represented. And uh, even we even Johnny, keep in mind at the time, he was doing very, he was handling very little law, although he had a 10-lawyer office in L.A. He, there were no partners. He was located in New York. And so it was, you know, not clicking on all cylinders unless, you know, he was in L.A., but he was 90 percent in New York and he was doing uh, court TV. Uh, he was also engaged in writing his second book, but he was serving on uh, numerous corporate boards. And he was also one of the hottest speakers in the country. I think he'd, he'd made tons and tons of, uh, of money. Well, I, you know, I throw the number out because it was in Forbes. It's, it's public. I think he made about eight or nine million dollars the year before I, we had met him, just speaking, you know, just on wow. speaker fees. So he, you know, he was being, Johnny would really, had really taken him out of law. And our, uh, our uh, business, initial business arrangement is uh, the, the brand and the name was sufficient. You did not have to roll your sleeves up and do any legal work. And uh, I think people were surprised, especially on big, big cases. They would come into the firm because of Johnny, obviously, and so, some of which uh, Johnny would even, um, you know, it, it, clients were surprised the other way. They did not expect to have Johnny, but Johnny would get on the phone. If it was a big, big case and a, a significant place, uh, Johnny would want to talk to the client, would talk to the client. And he would also uh, promise certain clients on some of the mega sized cases to actually try the case. So he, he invited himself more often into the case with other lawyers. And, and don't get me wrong, clients were just ecstatic to have a call from uh, Johnny Cochran. But uh, we, we did not have uh, a problem even from the start. Now, over time, the resume of the lawyers and the successes of the lawyers created 
uh, you know, a, a backlog of, of large results. And we would go to the lawyers that had the best results. And if it was a particular type of product case or a medical malpractice or whatever they were really environmental cases, they're really, really good at. Uh, the clients had no trouble and Johnny had no trouble with deferring to the lawyers who had specialty in, in those uh, cases. So I'd say that's that's what we did in the uh, early days. Now, keep in mind, uh, Johnny is uh, this uh, next year or this year was the 15th year anniversary of his passing. And uh, but and there, and there was a, and it's common to say, how in the world did you keep it together? How in the world is there a firm called the Cochran firm 15 years after its namesake? and main brand and most significant uh, trial lawyer uh, has been gone. Uh, the National Law Journal had the same question. Matter of fact, one of the headlines in the National Law Journal about two years after Johnny passing, well, and it was almost like they were shocked. It says, the Cochrane firm survives the death of Johnny. Uh, that was the headline, but we were a feature firm because uh, you know, they keep up like the, you know, the top 10. They used to call it the hot list. Uh, now they have some kind of other elite uh, recognition, but the hot list would be the top 10 personal injury firms based on results. And so we've made the hot list like three times since Johnny passed and honorable mention like three or four times based on the numbers. So that keeps, uh, I think that keeps us going. We had reached scale. Now, if you, if you ask this question, had we not reached a scalable, uh, sizable operation with offices and major markets with, attorneys with significant reputations, thanks to, to Johnny that he knew and brought in from everywhere from the inner circle, the International Academy of Trial Lawyers, uh, significant trial lawyers in their own right had already entered the firm. Had that not happened at the time Johnny was diagnosed, and it was a sudden, I mean, we, we were, you know, we were shocked when this happened. I mean, he had really come off of a year sabbatical and was, uh, you know, living the life of Johnny and was ready to roll his sleeves up when he was diagnosed with the brain cancer. So I'm confident that had we not uh, had a significant level of uh, scale, that it would have been devastating to lose a partner of that magnitude, you know, because uh, uh, he, you know, he was a, a very important ingredient or, uh, and glue to the firm. But we also had another founder, Jock Smith, which I'd mentioned that internally, was uh, became the president of the firm after uh, Johnny passed. And unfortunately, we lost him tragically to a heart attack at the age of 62 at his home. Uh, he passed away uh, in 2012. So we've had two major, major founders of the firm that, uh, you know, have, you know, have passed, have passed away that uh, the firm has had to, so I guess, sort of endure and, and work beyond. And, and we and we miss them. And it is a gap. And, you know, it, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, uh, from a rainmaking and from a firm standpoint, clients uh, and, and us as you know, just me from a personal standpoint. And it's not a day goes by that I wish I didn't have a chance to talk to Johnny about one thing or another. Uh, so it's you have to overcome that loss. Yeah, that could, I yeah, imagine. yeah, that could be devastating. You know, Keith, one of the things that I think stood out to me as I was preparing for this conversation uh, was that, you know, I, I looked at your website. I looked at all the lawyers that you have uh, working for you, uh, and I was able to quickly see a contrast with a lot of the um, substantial, I guess you would call them, personal injury firms. Uh, throughout the country. So I you know I spent a little time looking at uh, at the, at the bigger players throughout the country. 
your firm is incredibly diverse as compared to many other large firms and some of the more uh, well-known successful personal injury firms in all the major markets. How do you think, you know, and it's something that's obviously in the news now, uh, uh, you know, for a need for diversity among law firms. It's it's active in our community. A lot of bar associations are talking about that type of thing. Can you tell me a little bit how you think your uh, attention to that detail, attention to having an inclusive and diverse uh, partnership uh, has allowed you to grow in ways that you may not have been able to grow if you were sort of homogenous like many firms uh, tend to be. I mean, you look around, it tends to be in the big PI firms, you know, seven white guys. Uh, and, and that's not necessarily the makeup of our society. And so you've done something very special. Uh, and I want to, you know, delve into that a little about how you think that's helped you really sort of scale and, uh, and service the clientele. Well, we, we do have the benefit. Uh, this is where Johnny, you know, comes in and the, and the brand uh, comes in is by design and by structure. Johnny wanted the firm to reflect society. He, he used that term. Now, we've morphed it uh, to a more diverse firm than even he envisioned. For, for, and I'd ask you, what does that what does that mean? Well, he says there's 25 percent African-American population in the city. I'd expect that city to have 25 percent. Uh, African-American attorneys that are providing the service uh, to the to the firm. Now, we are probably now more diverse than even Johnny and uh, anticipated uh, because I do consider this as a minority law firm. It was founded by two minority partners that had a majority interest in the firm. So the, the white lawyers were a minority and ever, ever since the design, our, our president has always been African-American. Our board has always been controlled by, uh, and it's a nine-member board, a majority African-American. Our executive committee, which is a 35-member uh, expanded uh, body, uh, also majority African-American. And I think in our continued growth, um, we're doubling down on that because if you look at most of the markets, they're, you know, you know pick one, you know, Detroit, Atlanta, Philadelphia, New York. These are diverse cities. Uh, you know, Memphis, New Orleans. I mean, you can't pick a major city that does not have extreme, extraordinary uh, diversity to a point of also, you know, being, you know, D.C., Baltimore. I mean, you just name one. They're 50% uh, African-American community. How do you not have a firm that reflects that? Um, so it, it, by necessity, it needs to be uh, diverse. And I think it, it does internally or from a business standpoint, I don't know that that's so much a business decision as an, an importance in providing client service decision. And uh, we have not, you know, we haven't steered away from that foundation. And I think also the one thing that we share all in common is that the reputation and the quality of service that Johnny said, in other words, he's, he's sort of like put in stone uh, the, the level of quality and you can't he and he used this phrase at, at one point he said i do not want to be a mile wide and one inch deep if, I, if we're going to have an office in philadelphia or dc it's not going to be to capture a case for me and funnel it or whatever else he said i want to be i want to be as deep as i am wide from a firm standpoint and so we have attempted to have lawyers that are better actually you know somebody asked well what you know for the last 10 years so why are you not trying cases anymore? because there are so many better lawyers at trying cases in my firm than me i might have thought at the age of 40 
that I was as good as, and that's part of the trial lawyer concept. I'm as good as or better than anybody else at doing anything else. Now, uh, you know, one afternoon with Johnny Cochran will cure that thought. <laughs> you know, so, so I, you know, you recognize that in the pecker, pecking order of things, you know, this man is far superior uh, to me, and I've happened to have been in court with him on numerous occasions, and it it is it was all real, and he's uh, he's helped. And uh, in the philosophy, we, we came up with uh, 10 criteria for an office. And, do, and if you hit all the check boxes of that 10 criteria, you're going to be deep. I mean, you're going to have experienced attorneys, um, you know, because a lot of like you say, a lot of firms, I don't knock the firms because they have great lawyers at the top. They one or two lawyers deep. But we probably have, I'd say, 40 or 50 lawyers with million dollar verdicts, probably 25, 30 lawyers with, you know, 10 plus million dollar verdicts. We have probably 15 or 20 lawyers with hundred million dollar verdicts. We have several lawyers with billion dollar um, results. I mean, it's that, that helps when uh, the different practice areas are involved and you've got lawyers in other places to, to call on. And there's a lot of internal collaboration. You know, every, everyone knows when you can get in over your head as a, as a lawyer, as an office or as a firm, you know, if it's an environmental case, it's going to cost 10, $20 million to uh, fund you know, doing it in a city population of 75,000 with, you know, maybe, you know, 20 lawyers in a location. It's not the same. You may only have one of those lawyers that do environmental case. So it's good to be able to pull from 31 different offices and you may find six lawyers who will work on a project. And so we use that uh, constantly to uh, provide, to help provide the depth that we need. I don't know if that answered your, uh, answered your question, but we, and, and we seek when we go to a city, we don't attempt to find, um, a lawyer to fill a seat, to occupy a uh, space, to put a flag for the Cochran firm. We try to find the best lawyer for the community. And we do, we do affirmatively try to find the best African-American attorney. You know, we do think diversity, uh, you know, every, you know, that's, you know, a high, high uh, priority. And I think you do have to think it. I mean, because a lot of times, sometimes our circles are so small, it's just easier for, you know, white lawyers to know other white lawyers. And, and so you're just not thinking, you know, thinking diversity. Yeah, no, it definitely yeah. has answered my question. You know, as I've seen, as we've grown, the more diverse we've become, the better we are because there's a number of different perspectives that have worked. So, Seth, why don't you take it over now? Yeah. Well, I was going to say that, you know, one of the you talked about how you have these offices around the country and you have a mothership that is to sight to be seen in Alabama. I've been honored to to tour it with you. My my question for you is and as we we're now in this virtual world in, in major cities in the northeast, offices are not open. And so all of a sudden people are rethinking where people have to be sitting. And historically, when Jay and I hire paralegal talent, we're not seeing great talent generally less than 50, often $60,000 or more. And you you have a cost structure in Alabama where talent is, is much more reasonable. Um, I you, you said something to me years ago about sort of outsourcing to Alabama is sort of almost how you, how you looked at it. Um, can you talk a little bit, because I think a lot of people right now are trying to figure out, you know, now that borders, you know, the, the office structure itself is not, is being questioned. Um, 
you know, how you've leveraged the fact that you happen to be in a place with educated people at a reasonable uh, price point and use that to your advantage to help grow and fuel uh, the growth along the way. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit of, uh, about the structure so you understand, I, I guess, the, 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 the context of the question. But I want to start off by saying I am also questioning my own structure and the structure going forward and how changes may need to be made. So uh, I don't want you to think that, you know, hey, I got a perfect, you know, we got a perfect structure, especially in, in light of this. Uh, but we have um, in about four different buildings in this uh, what I would consider a small town. We have 160,000 square feet of office space uh, that we have employees that occupy the space for various functions. And, and what you're talking about, the one um, building that's 40,000 square feet that houses our uh, intake center, call center, and processing. Um, there's 130 employees in that building, 75 seat uh, call, call center. It's not the regional office. There's no legal work done in this building. It's sort of a part of the operation that services all the other uh, offices. And there's probably uh, 200 administrative employees uh, in the city, some uh, uh, off site from the main site. Now, it is I, somebody, uh, you know, what you're probably referring to about the outsourcing. It's like Nike having its shoes made in Mexico or China or, you know, uh, iPhone having its parts made somewhere else. Alabama does happen to be. Um, you know, a place where, you know, a, a 75 seat call center would cost four or five, maybe even 10 times as much if it was in L.A. or in our New York operation. So we're able to have um, more people. We happen to be close to um, the largest Army aviation military base in, in the world, you know, for helicopter training. And it and it brings in a real diverse um, market force for us. So we're fortunate. We also happen to uh, in our city we had the call center for Verizon. So we were able to get a lot of talent because they're coming in from all, they, they serve, they handle Verizon's call center work for the whole country. It's there. We're able to get their talent because I mean, there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, low thousands of uh, employees. So we get their top trained uh, people to work uh, in our uh, call center. You know, you know, pay them a little more and you know, there, there we are. So, I mean, I hope that's not going out to that cost, the Verizon call center. Um, but uh, it helps us serve all 31 offices in a kind of uh, scaled way, not to have to replicate the administrative departments that big businesses have. Uh, I mean, everybody's going to have an IT department. They're going to have an accounting controlling department. They're going to have uh, a department that does nothing but marketing. They're going to have somebody in operations. They're going to have legal. I mean, we have in-house legal uh, talent. I mean, some of the departments that law, fir law firms do not have, I mean, only the 2,000 lawyer law firms, the really big law firms, can develop the kind of departments that you see in, in corporations. But it's helpful. I mean, the, uh, an office that has five lawyers, it's hard to have 24-7 uh, qualified paralegals answering the phone. And you can't, you have to staff for the highest volume, you know, two or you can't have just one answering the phone because that's just one phone line ties it up I and mean, you have to have enough to actually, you know, deal with, you know, deal with the volume. So that, that level of centralizing, you know, centralizing certain functions, same thing. We have, uh, you know, on the digital, you know, digital marketing, the content writers, the search engine optimizers. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a person for almost every kind of a, a thought, you know, 
uh, Seth, because you have a company that does all that. Next thing you know, you have 30 employees and they all have different they all have different titles and different functions that they, that they do. You can't in a boutique, small uh, office of whatever type. You can't provide that service. You have to have had a scaled need. But at the same time, when you see a scaled need, you got to meet it with these departments that can provide services to other places remotely. So we're almost we have we have been good at remote work because when you call uh, a New York office, you know you're getting a New York accent answering the phone in Alabama, but they're, they're not, when they hang up, they're not taking the next call and it's, uh, you know, Ginsu knives or, you know, the Vegematic or anything. I mean, they're selling, I mean, it's nothing but pure uh, legal. Now the, the part, the thing that we are analyzing now and which we're finding because of remote work, I mean, we've taken that 75 seat call center every, in every room and we're probably too spacious. We, it, but space is cheap in Alabama. I mean, you buy, you know, we bought. We really bought four different banks, huge banks that moved out of the inner city, and we renovated these banks. So they're built very, very well and had a lot of space and off, you know, opulent conference rooms and everything else that goes with it. And we're able to put a lot of people in offices that can close the doors. You know, even though we have, you know, we've made glass uh, everywhere. So we have thought historically, uh, we've always, you know, added employees, bought office space to accommodate and they spread out, you know, we, and we had just recently before the end of the year, we bought uh, two more office buildings on the same block and a house to actually house guests that come in and put a big iron fence around it. And, you know, so we're in expansion mode, but what we have learned is we could probably double in size and not require any more space because of our ability to, uh, the key is getting everybody trained and onboarded. We found that you cannot, you cannot adequately train new employees without, you know, hard touch, you know, office, office habits, office practices, but a high performer, uh, an experienced uh, employee that had been there for a while. And we, and Seth, you haven't been there, you know, I mean, we have a lot of, you know, 20 and 30 year employees who have a lot of institutional knowledge and they have, you know, their targets and their goals and their performance and uh, how uh, how we measure it and, and how they're bonused and everything is in place enough that they can do and they're motivated to do it. They can do what they do at home or, you know, you know, pretty much uh, anywhere as long as they have the technology, same technology. And so we're, you know, we're getting schooled. We'll never be we'll never be the same, uh, you know, th- you know, through this pandemic based on what we have found out. You know, even our, our call center, I would think, well, you have to have a room where they're all in cubicles and, you know, it's like as far as the eye can see, you see people in little cubicles and booths and doing what they do. But when we uh, went virtual, you know, we're still recording every aspect. We're still recording the conversations. They're still, you know, centralized monitoring. We still can, you know, listen in. We still keep up with the numbers and, you know, and, and we, you know, make sure that the environment's right. I mean, we don't particularly like barking dogs and crying babies, uh, but it's not bad. You know, sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's, it depends on the circumstance or the situation because through your double door, I don't know if you're aware of it, I've seen, you know, a, a, a young one walking in and around. That's sort of a nice thing to, uh, to do. So we, we probably uh, will not, I, we were talking about it the other day, I don't think we need one more square uh, footage to grow to maybe even three times the size. You, you, sh- you go into shifts. You're able to remote part time, even if you work if you work two or three days and let some other employee work two or three days 
even in the same uh, space. I think uh, that is going to be some, there's some permanent habits and yep. permanent practices that are being learned now that will never change. It's got to hurt the office business. I couldn't agree more. We were talk, talking about it, renegotiating leases. Uh, rethinking everything, hotel style, as you're essentially alluding to. People will have a desk when they need to be there, but you know if they could cut down on commute three days a week, you may hold on to people you couldn't have held on otherwise to. Right, and and, uh, I, th- and I think it's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, you do have to double down. If you this is where it hurts. If you do, you do not have systems and processes and uh, ways to uh, measure performance and to m- motivate individuals if you don't have that then your production is going to you know crash and burn and we've seen that with a few employees particularly you know some that are just you know getting onboarded i mean they're going to be spending time you know walking their dog uh you know an extra 15 20 trips to the refrigerator because they're at the house i mean it's i mean heck i i do it if i'm anywhere uh close so uh, those kind of things are going to have to be workarounds. You know, something we've talked about that I've noticed, I'm curious to see on a larger scale, what you've seen is that the A players, when they went virtual, have been A players virtually. And the people that were on the, you know, on the cusp that were barely holding on, they, they went even further. That it was, you know, if you can somehow figure out how to keep and retain your A players, it's less of an issue, but not everybody can be an A player. Right. Well, one thing uh, we, you know, we did, of course, uh, and we might should have uh, doubled it. I think you and I have talked. We, we immediately just the word when you hear the word, uh, you know, pandemic, remote work. I mean, you know, we we did reduce our um, workforce by identifying, and we they were pretty much all identified, and, and but uh, eliminating uh, the bottom five percent. Yeah, you know, the of the company. Let's just let's just make a decision. It was an occasion to make a decision. And, you know, they probably were all better off because of the way unemployment turned out. I mean, it's like it's a win win. It was a win for us and a win. Uh, and, and we also, you know, looked at the PPP uh, loans and, you know, structured it in the kind of way that uh, that really in our situation, no lawyers received any compensation of any kind. But all the staff uh, that would uh, qualify, uh, you know, did. You know, so that that was, uh, you know, of a, a assistance and. Um, but we happened, it just, from our internal standpoint, it just happened to hit us at a cycle where we were abnormally loaded with reserves. You know, usually, uh, you know, we say six to nine months in comfortable reserves in case the faucet just turns off. I guess that's just a natural fear and paranoia that I would have, but we had a lot more than that for some reason when it, uh, when it hit. Now that doesn't mean you're going to, you know, just burn through it, but it did give us some, uh, you know, some, some preparation for, uh, bad times. And I don't, you know, I, I don't want to be a, a downer, but I do not feel like the worst of times for the, uh, legal profession is here yet. You know, I, I not, cause I think there's going to be an aftershock. I mean, uh, this is the first time in my 40 years where we've had a situation where courts are closed and there's, uh, in essence, a total shutdown or modification. The good news is, is, Everyone has up their game on technology, and we have found out how you can save trips and hotel bills and time. I mean, you're a lot more efficient with all the methods of communicating, taking depositions, doing hearings, 
I mean, uh, that's and I don't think that's going to change. It's, it's going to there's going to come back a little bit to the way it was. But judges like doing it. I mean, they like sitting and being able to, you know, do a Zoom or a, a Skype or a WebEx or a, a Microsoft Teams. I mean, whatever the the process is for resolving things, I think that's been a, a major a major takeaway. But what I'm what I'm anticipate, you know, happening is in the next six months to a year, the economic impact of this malaise uh, and this stall. I mean, there's a lot less traveling. I mean, I would have thought, and I even asked, uh, I would have thought that, well, bankruptcies are going to go up. Not the case. I mean, even the bankruptcy attorney is saying that there's just monstrous drop-off. I mean, the people that are typically subject probably to uh, bringing uh, bankruptcy claims are so are so broke that it's like they're beyond bankrupt. I mean, they can't even can't even afford to even go through the bankrupt process. They just don't even care. Uh, that was, you know, sort of one explanation. But I think same thing on the whether it's personal injury, insurance companies, everybody is going to be so economically impacted. Now, again, though, we're not. The second thing we did was uh, instead of circling the wagons. Uh, we uh, decided on an offensive. We're, we're going to go from 31 offices to 50 offices. That's sort of our target, and we're in midstream of that. So we are doubling down on uh, forward movement. Uh, there's greater need for consolidation because a lot of uh, uh, pers- prospective partners into the system are looking for solutions and scaling one another and teaming up. I mean, could you imagine? For example, like there's a lawyer across town to you. Um, it's hypothetical, not because you've sort of scaled, but and you could cut your expenses in half by sharing them with them, and still have your same source of revenue because you're you're sharing in a, a full-time account. You're sharing. I mean, there's you you're splitting your receptionist. I mean, you start splitting things. Uh, you know, and that's uh, and you're in the same marketing. I mean, you're buying TV ads and. You just throw in a week. If you're doing social security, you say social security and family law. You know, so you're just using one word and you've already saved half, you know, half your uh, ad budget by throwing in another practice area. So that's uh, I think that that the opportunities probably for consolidation and scale are as as good as it will ever be during the pandemic. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but I would say this. Uh, so if you I would think think that way this is now's the time now's the time to move now's time to scale now's time to be creative and there's probably uh you know three or four things from a business structure to to do sit at, you know this is a good time also to sit down and reanalyze your own structure look at what you want it to be in five years recognize all the empty seats but go ahead it's almost like building out an organizational chart that includes what your vision includes you know what you'd like for it to see and if there's not a seat, don't be limited by what you have people to put in seats. You know, be just only limited by your imagination and then have them as in. There's nothing wrong with having an empty box and have a title. You know, I want to, you know, uh, my, my son, uh, I didn't know that, that even there was such a thing as a chief revenue officer. You know, uh, uh, I mean, it has a title and name. It's on the Internet and everything else. So the next thing I know, he's hiring a chief revenue officer. I didn't know that there was such a. I've heard of the chief financial officer, the chief executive, I mean, the, the CEOs, but now the CROs I mean, and the CTOs, I mean, there's a, a CO for something. Um, 
So the purpose of doing that is to know if you've got the right people in the right seats. And if you don't, you need to move them out of the seats. Because sometimes, you know, it's a tendency to promote somebody to something they can't do. I mean, they may be great on the phone. Next thing you know, the receptionist is the director of marketing. I mean, you can't do, you know, you can't be doing those kind of things. I mean, you have to recognize when something, when there's an empty um, uh, seat, you know, in, in place and on that structure. And also it's a good time. I think tech, and I think we've all, uh, if we haven't learned it, we're going to learn it before it's over with. Technology, when you get into the game on technology, when you, uh, uh, if you get to the best, the state of the art on the technology, it allows you then to, move into the systems to make everything work and the processes to be able to monitor, you know, how it's working. And I've constantly, now uh, during the, if there's a downtime, I wouldn't spend it watching Netflix. I would spend it working on the organization, you know, getting it ready to, to move. And matter of fact, I want to, I don't know if you've ever heard of this book. Yeah. Uh, we, we talk about it all the time. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's I a Bible. Know, I didn't know. And I make I try I make a point that about every two years uh, I, I reread it. Uh, so and I don't know if you guys have you, have you ever had Mike Morse on? Y'all you know Mike Morse? Yes. We, we were we just interviewed him a few weeks ago. Okay. Well, you probably talked about that. Yep. Yep. Mark proof. Um, and that was the galley proof. I haven't gotten the other one. It sort of makes it applicable. And the and the benefit I guess is learning the language because it's a. It's not a hard transition. For all, I happen to have a business undergraduate degree, uh, and there's no mystery. There's no real mystery to it. As a lawyer, sometimes lawyers feel like there's something about business they don't understand, just like business people feel like there's something about law they don't really don't understand. Uh, but it's easy. It's easy to teach yourself the business terms and the business principles that allow. It's an internal language that allows your organization to be able to hold itself accountable. And that's why I'm a proponent of traction or get a grip. I mean, they're all written by Gino Wickman or Rocket Fuel. I mean, that little uh, series is helpful in learning the language and also learning uh, the lane. You know, until I read Rocket Fuel, I was in my, I was probably in my own way a lot of times because I would want to micromanage everything, control everything. You know, think I my judgment was better in every category. I mean. Man was uh, wrong. I mean, I and I was, you know, really holding holding back uh, progress by constant conflict with other managers that were better than I was in the departments that they were in. And so that's that's why I recommend. Yeah. You know, every lawyer that's not business oriented, grab you some business books. Don't grab no need to grab legal books. Grab business books, and that help that'll help you scale probably as quick as anything. Well, Keith, thank you so much. We could keep going on. I'd love to have you back. I want to hear the story of NTL uh, from you know inception through what it is today. But this has been awesome. Uh, really, thank you. Uh, it means a lot to have you here. And you've meant a lot to me personally in the growth of my firm. So uh, just great to sort of sit back and, and, and hear the wisdom uh, uh, come, right, come right out. Jay, you got any last words? No, I just want to thank you. I mean, I think one of the things that a lot of people can take away from it is somebody, you know, Keith, at your position with all you've accomplished are you're still setting quarterly rocks right you're 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 doing the things that you need to do to continue to grow uh, and it's not something that just comes naturally it's something that you have to continually work at and I think that's a message that everybody can take away or at least one of the multiple things that I know I could take away from this conversation is that this is this is a marathon not a sprint and you constantly have to work at it and you've proven it 
just now by talking about uh, how you know you come back every two years and you make sure that you're following the systems uh, and systems scale. All those things matter. So thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate your perspective and everything that you've brought to the table today. Well, thank you all. And I also uh, likewise look up to the, uh, the two of you. So uh, and I look forward to uh, uh, following your uh, insight and message and uh, vision. So thank you all very much. Thank you. Thanks, Keith. All right. Take care. Well, uh, to say wow is an understatement, Seth. That conversation really sort of opened my eyes to a lot of things. It's I mean, even the stuff at the very end, you know, talking about traction. I know it's it's a it's a book. It's a Bible that a lot of people in our community sort of uh, look towards. Um, But what, what are your thoughts? No, I mean, look, I've always looked at Keith as that guy who's like, oh, why don't we just slice the bread? You know, before they they knew how to do that, like every time he does something, I'm like, oh, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. And he's done it and he's scaled it and he does it over and over again, whether it's Cochran, whether it's NTL and, and, you know, visiting him in Alabama, all of his different local business ventures. Oh, we need a wedding venue. Oh, this place would be great for that. And next thing you know, he's invested in it and they they have a lovely downtown uh, venue for people to do things. So uh, I am, you know, always in awe and to get this much focused time to hear just what's going inside his noggin, a really special, uh, really special day. Yeah. I mean, we prepared for a half hour. We got over an hour out of them uh, just to talk about all types of things. And I think, you know, some of the things that are cultural touchstones right now, the need for more diversity in in law firms, I think, you know, Cochrane Fern has done a wonderful thing focusing on that. And I think it shows in their ability to grow. Uh, And so that's certainly something that a lot of people are talking about now. And I think it's something that people can, can take a lesson from and and how to do it and how to do it the right way. But we got to end now because, you know, as you what we've gone over what else is new uh, but we want to talk about what's coming up in, the, in in next week so seth why don't you give a give our listeners uh what they have coming up next week we got two things next week well nalini on talking about directories uh, you know right now we talked about the algorithm you know nonsense at the beginning of the show a lot of uncertainty and that means that where you place your dollars mean that much more when the algorithm keeps changing over time, not just the, the mistake that Google made. You know, the question is, is it right to be in a director? Is it cost effective? Is it worth the link juice? Can you get leads from it, et cetera? That's the first part. The second, John Fisher, new book just came out, a juggernaut, a ton of information, and would love to, to sort of pick his brain and figure out what, you know, what he's seen because he's kept his firm small, but the information he's providing is really a blueprint for any law firm that wants to create systems. He quotes you a lot and wants to be able to scale. The same fundamentals are there and can't wait to do a deep dive with him. Yeah, so that's great. So for that, we're going to end this episode now. That's going to do it for us. But uh, if you wanted to take us on the go, you can download the Maximum Growth Live podcast on any one of the podcasting platforms. I have a preference for uh, Apple Podcasts. I know you're a Google guy, Seth, but it's also available on Spotify. And you can tune in every Thursday for another edition of Maximum Growth Live. So thank you for being with us today. If you have questions, please feel free to give us a comment down below if you have any suggestions you can also dm us on any one of our social channels we're happy to talk to you about this program and bring you the type of content you need to grow your firm so for that for jay ruane for seth price we'll say goodbye have a wonderful week and we'll see you next thursday here on another edition of maximum growth live Thank 
you for listening to Maximum Growth Live. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast for the latest episodes and tune in live on Facebook every Thursday for our live show. For more information, visit Maximum Growth Live on Facebook or MaximumLawyer.com and be sure to share us with your friends.